Welcome to The Lens, hosted by Catalysis, where we get a glimpse inside healthcare organizations that are transforming to a culture of improvement to deliver continually higher value outcomes for patients, staff, and communities. Visit createvalue.org for more information about Catalysis. Welcome back to The Lens. I'm your host, Peter Mariahazi. Joining us today on The Lens is Ginger Breek. She's the Executive Director of Patient Safety and Experience at the Community Health Network in Indiana. Community Health has worked to develop a strong and supportive process for root cause analysis, or RCA as many of us call it. We all understand the importance of understanding the root cause to develop processes to improve outcomes. Thank you for joining us today, Ginger. Thanks for having me. So tell our listeners a little bit about the Community Health Network and your role there. Okay. Um, So Community Health Network is in central Indiana. Um, We are a system that consists of 10 acute and specialty care hospitals. Um, We provide the largest behavioral health care within the state of Indiana. We deliver more babies here than any other hospital in the state of Indiana. You know, we're really proud of that. And as an aside, my 11th grandchild was born here last week. So I think we're contributing nicely to that number. It's a community Um, effort. That's right. We have um, 16,000 plus employees across our network. We have 2,400 providers. We have over 200 sites of care. Um, We have mm, 3 million outpatient visits a year. Um, We're a busy place. So um, continuously expanding. My role, um, I have um, the, what traditionally have been called risk managers. Our folks are called patient safety and risk managers because we see them as really driving the safety efforts within the area that they serve. So I have a team of PSRMs that um, report to me. I also have, um, I'm responsible for the safety programming across this network at all sites. And our patient experience team reports up through this position. So we feel like you can't separate safety and experience. That's fantastic. And it sounds like you've definitely got the scale to do a lot of things, a lot of work and a lot of opportunity. So provide us with a real high level overview of the root cause analysis process that Community Health Network uses. Sure. Um, We, first of all, we started our culture of safety formal journey back in 2007. So that's, it's been really a work in progress over all those years. Um, Our current state, how we manage that is that our PSRMs, I'm going to say it again, the patient safety risk managers, and that's the last time I'm going to say the whole term. So they're PSRMs. They are continuously part, a big part of their workflow every day is to monitor our safety events that are reported. Um, And so they monitor looking for those that either did reach a patient with significant injury or significant risk of recurrence or those near miss events that we go, oh my goodness, we got to head this one off. So they prepare SBARs. Every Thursday night at four o'clock, we have a meeting um, across our network. There are 15 executive level leaders that attend a meeting and they hear those most significant events in the form of an SBAR presented by our PSRMs. And their job on that call is to classify. We use the HPI Prescani Serious Event Classification. They classify by that 
and then they assign what the next steps will be. So we use root cause analysis a lot in our network, um, but we, I mean, we use different versions of that. We may do an apparent cause analysis. We may do a barrier analysis, which is just a different way to do a root cause analysis. They may commit commission some performance excellence work. We have a framework called um, the way we improve. Um, a lot of people call them the A3 model. We, we use that as well. We may do a targeted event review, but by and large, the once it comes to that group of folks, likely it's going to be in some level of causal analysis. We may also commission a failure mode analysis. So, um, you know, one of the things that was most difficult really rolling it out with this group of people is we're talking vice president level, basically. And to get all of them together in one place for an hour every week, we thought, whoa, that's daunting. But I will tell you, we have incredible attendance. There's a lot of discussion and it's good discussion. Um, they not only will they classify events and assign next steps, but they're really focused on what have we done to support our team um, in response to an event. So we have a really active, we call it a RISE team, resiliency and stressful events. I know we're not the only folks who call it that, but it's that second victim support. Um, and just to give you a little uh, scope, last year, they did almost 500 RISE responses across our network. So it's a really um, pretty ingrained process. Well, and it's pretty impressive that you're using different ways to analyze. You're not that one size fits all as far as going it. So when did you start looking at the process for root cause analysis? How long ago did that process start? I would say it was in probably 2008. I'm a dinosaur in the network. Let me just tell you that. I have been with this network 32 years and I've been a nurse a lot longer. Um, so I've been here for the whole history of it. We really um, focused our efforts around 2008, 2009. And then we have adapted over the years. You know, there's not, there are multiple ways to do a root cause analysis. And so we are continuously looking to shore up those processes. So we've been on the journey for a long time. And I will tell you that one of the things we recognized in the last few years, and, and COVID did us no favors, but I, I'd love to tell you I could blame it all on COVID and I can't we had gotten a little complacent in our safety efforts. So one of the places that we're focusing, and, and I can speak to that if you like, is we have six work groups that are looking at how do we re-energize our culture of safety efforts. And one of those work groups is focused entirely on our analysis of events. Wow. Well, so one of the concepts, and you, you've hinted at it, one of the concepts we emphasize at Catalyst as community is to personalize the transformation mm -hmm. to your organization culture. Yes. And sounds like you're doing that. Not only we started with this at the point of the culture, but we're also adapting it as time goes by because the culture evolves as well. So how did you incorporate the Community Health Network culture in developing your RCA process? Um, one of the things that we've had to take a good look at, one of the things that our network focuses on heavily is the way we improve, which is our performance excellence efforts. So we have a very defined methodology. And, you know, what we've done is we think picked the best of what everybody's doing and, and made it what works for us. But we are in the process of making sure that they really um, I don't want to stay there in lockstep, but they're very complementary processes so that 
we're using what we believe is a foundational um, part of our network that that focus on improvement and that our um, causal analysis efforts really mirror those. So while they're not exactly the same process, there's nothing contradictory in, to, in the two processes. And, and how we look at it is the difference between us assigning a performance excellence project is that we become aware of something that's really wide scale and we're aware of that from the get-go. Whereas causal analysis, we're responding to a very specific event that we may discover along the way um, could be applied in a broader sense. We're not aware of that at the get-go. We're looking, we're focused on a really specific event. And in the course of analyzing it, we may find that we have an opportunity to spread right wider than the area where the event occurred. And that does happen a lot. Wow. Um, if, if I were to be really honest, which would probably be really good at this point, um, where we really have a lot to work to do is our spread and sustain efforts. Not that we don't do it, but we have need of more consistency and probably more variety. Um, you know, any, any education, and let me just say, for all those RCA folks, we never rely on education as the um, action plan answer to any event because we know that's not a good return. Um, it's pretty low level. On the other hand, frequently there has to be educational effort that goes along with whatever you're doing. So we're trying to figure out what are all the ways we can do that and then how do we spread our education to become part of whatever the systemic response is. That's so, great. So we're... Um, Indianapolis has a really strong coalition for patient safety that involves all of the hospitals in the Indianapolis area. And we don't compete where safety is concerned. So we do a lot of event sharing. Um, and one of the things we know from our VA partners is if they're doing a root cause analysis and their answer to this event is we need policy work or education that the VA won't accept that work as effective. And so they, they actually score, they have tiers of scoring and I'm probably misrepresenting. So all my VA friends out there, just bear with me, but they do a lot of sharing and helping us look at, okay, yeah, you may have to educate and you may have to change a policy, but you can't, that you can't rest there. People forget those things. Wow. So how do you build those new efforts into the processes, into the systems that your folks are interacting with every day so that it becomes part of practice and so safety is built into practice? So, and I love how you, you say that, you know, education is a part, but it can't be solely it. There's, there's got to be the experiential piece. So, Ginger, I also understand that there are kind of subcommittees to filter and escalate issues to help in this whole process to to, I guess, make it as effective as possible. Tell us more about these and, and how do those work? Okay, so, you know, we start with really the entry or our awareness comes through our PSRM team. So we start there. But once we know that what we're going to is some level of analysis, then um, there are things built into that process alone where you get buy-in. So the first thing we do is we identify an executive sponsor and in our network that has to be somebody at least the level of executive director because those are our barrier busters in an analysis. So for instance, I've gone in, um, I still do a lot of causal analysis work in, in my job because I don't feel like I can lead a team if I don't know what's happening. So one of the things I've encountered is I've had leaders who don't understand the whole um, just culture concept maybe. And so they're afraid for their staff to talk to us without them there. 
Okay, so I've got a barrier buster. I can reach out to my executive sponsor of that event and say, I need you to intervene here and help and not not to bulldoze that leader because we're not going to gain anything, but to help me have that conversation so that they'll understand we're working together on this. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one way we get that executive sponsor identified. And then with the um, whoever's identified to be the primary analyst, which is usually one of my PSRMs, the PSRM and that executive sponsor that will then identify the stakeholders. And that's really where you get a lot of the buy-in. We're very um, sensitive to the fact we can't have a stakeholder group that is leadership heavy because we are firm believers. We buy into that. It's, you know, nothing about me without me. And if you try and make changes and don't include the people that actually do the work, you're going to fail. So we pull in, we have them, you know, our rules, we kind of follow the um, National Patient Safety Foundation's RCA squared recommendations where you don't have the people that were directly involved in the event, but you identify proxies. So if this happened on night shift with a new nurse, I'm going to ask the leader of that area to help me find a night shift nurse who's relatively early in their career to kind of represent what it must be like to have had to think through it at that level in your um, career. Um, so we identify the stakeholders that really can act as, we consider those our experts. You know, if you're the person who does this work every day, you're much more expert than me who's reading about it. So those committees are formed early on. We do use the three meeting model. Um, the PSRM is responsible to do the interviews. Um, the interviews take place as, close to the event as we can possibly have it happen. Um, prior, prior to um, COVID, we would never have done an interview on the telephone. We've changed that practice. <laughs> you know, we, we do a lot of things that we've changed because of COVID. So we will work and, and the PSRMs, the expectation is they'll adapt to the caregiver schedule. So this is a night shift nurse. They're gonna come in on night shift. They're gonna stay up late, whatever. We're going to interview them. The PSRM also does a records review. It could be the chart, but if this was an equip equipment failure issue, we're going to pull in clinical engineering to help us interpret if there's any maintenance records or preventive maintenance, things like that. Um, and then they develop, we call it the events and causal factors chart. Lots of people call it a timeline, but I think it's a little more intense than a timeline. Um, and so we consider that stakeholder group really our experts. And so the first meeting spent reviewing that and identifying where were the gaps in care. You know, the, the nice word that um, HPI had us learn was proximate causes. And here's a reality. It's where we made the mistake. Um, and that's then where you, you start brainstorming. What, why did we do that? We do the five whys thing. Um, and our root causes will always come from the that from the proximate causes. Um, we went to um, a, a GME conference a few years ago prior to COVID. Everything's measured, you know, before and after. Um, and they gave us a formula for writing root causes that we have found works really well for us, which is something led to something that increased our risk of error. So that seems like you're talking around it, but when you really plug in for a specific event, it really starts to make sense. What is it that led to that event that increased our risk of error? So did that answer the question? 
It, it did. And, and so I have a follow-up to that, that. So you've got the, the, the PS arms, you've got the members of the subcommittee, you're grabbing you. How do you teach and coach those members of the subcommittee to use the processes and thinking to identify and share the root causes? That's a great question. So first is how you start. So we have, depending on which analysis we're using, we have a really brief introduction to that tool. So we have one for RCA, we have one for barrier analysis, we have one for our parent cause, we have one for failure mode. So we, before we say one word about this event, we talk about this is, this is the process you're going to be involved in. And then we talk specifically, this is your role. You know, the ground rules are be respectful, don't over talk each other, but be honest. You know, sometimes it's really hard. And we have, we, um, our, our analyses are peer protected in the state of Indiana. So we also have to give them that little blurb because there are things you can go out and share, but there are other things that have to stay in the room. So we, we lay all that groundwork before we ever introduce the event. Then when we get to that third meeting in the series, the third meeting, second meeting, we um, articulate a root cause. Before we come back for that third meeting, we make sure that our executive sponsor is comfortable with our root cause. That's pretty important. But that third meeting is about how do you, how do we improve? How do we spread? And so um, we talk about what root causes are and what they're not. Um, we give them that, we kind of walk through that formula of how we state a root cause. And then we have um, a strength of solution that we review with them. And that's where we set, you know, we start with the least effective is education. If you use that alone, that's gonna be the least effective solution. The most effective is to eliminate the problem, but that's not always possible, obviously. So when we get to that third meeting, we, and, and honestly, if we have time at the second meeting, we introduce that we want you to be thinking about how what is it we could do that would reduce the risk almost 100% that this wouldn't happen again? I never say it'll totally eliminate risk because we're talking about people. Mm -hmm. um, but we try and lay that groundwork. It's kind of an incremental work through the meetings. So what, what tools and what methods, what ways do you use to make the outcomes visible and measurable in the root cause analysis? What, how do you share it? Okay, so great question. And that's something one of our work groups is working on now because we recognize that's probably our weakest link, but we've done a few things. We had um, we have a newsletter, it's called Winks, What I Need to Know for Safety. And so it has, we're resurrecting that. We're actually in the process of renewing that. <laughs> and um, we have safety coach groups, or we did prior to COVID. That did get wiped out because nobody was allowed to have meetings. And what I found during that time is nobody missed them because not very many people were reading the winks. But the winks is it goes out via email to all leaders, as well as in our um, income, which, you know, is our intranet. But in that, you have to be, you know, do that delicate story writing process of not divulging so much that it becomes um, too much sharing. But this is the problem. Um, a group of people looked at it, and then we say, this is what we identified as the root cause. 
And here are the things you may see as a result of that. We're a little selective about how far out that goes because when you have a, for instance, we have a huge behavioral health um, service here. Some things that happen are very specific to a behavioral health service. The whole network doesn't need to be bogged down by that. So part of it's trying to decide who the audience is. On the other hand, we have things that you think everybody needs to know that. And the one that I, I use this example a lot a few years ago, and I'll be a little transparent without being too transparent, but we had um, a poor outcome based on a caregiver falling asleep at the bedside. When we, and, and you know, your first reaction to that is that's an intolerable event. But then when you interview the person, you find out that they were asked, actually they weren't asked, they were mandated to work a double shift. And when they were told that, they were like, okay, whatever you do, please don't put me one-to-one -one in a dark room because I'm afraid I'll fall asleep. So what did we do? Not only did we put them one-to-one -one in a dark room, we put them there for the whole shift. We didn't rotate assignment. Now that wasn't intentional, that was oversight. But in the course of that, or of that analysis, what you find out is they didn't really have a good way of documenting their assignments. Um, Nobody had any standard process that said, you can't do a one-to-one -one for more than two hours. You know, anybody's gonna get a little complacent at that point. So um, what, what came out of that is that caregiver did not lose their employment. And what we found out is they really needed consoling more than anything as a caregiver folks know this, our caregivers don't come to work to hurt people. And so right. when you're involved in an event where you did something that may have led to harm, that's devastating. And so it was an opportunity then to share that as vague, I say, I always tell my staff, we got to write them so that they're sufficiently vague, um, but that we can share, we had this lesson and we could do some things that would reduce risk of that recurring. And I will say, I hate to say it out loud, I'm a little superstitious, but we haven't had a recurrence of that event. So, um, you know, part of it is sharing um, in the appropriate venue. So we do use our income. We have also, um, this is my dream and I've been able to do it a few times. We have an acting troupe that I can call on every now and then. And we will, our staff likes to see on our income, these skits worked out where we give, you know, a scenario, we show a good way, and then we show the not so good way, and then we have a message to tie it all up about what we want you to take away from this. Um, and then we ask we um, we ask our leaders to share them in all the venues that they have, you know, on their on their operational improvement boards, on their on the back of the bathroom doors, at their team meetings, all of those things. So we try to use a lot of ways to do it, and we try not to rely on email. And Ginger, I, I love how in that in that example you provided that the care for the caregiver was as important. Yes, to, because and and we've been you know talking about this the importance of caring for the caregiver. So with that with as you mentioned in like behavioral health, it could be specific to that. How deep is the adoption of root cause analysis throughout the community health network? Your, your large organization, you know how how far have you got? Do the whole network. Now, what I'm going to the caveat to that is obviously it's primarily clinical. Um, those concepts are shared with all caregivers, 
Um, we are in the midst of a just culture campaign. Um, that's going to go to all, we, we refer to our employees as caregivers. And so if you work in environmental services, you may not see yourself as a caregiver, but we see you that way. If you work in billing, we see you as a caregiver. So the concept is shared. Now, the reality is I don't recall ever doing an RCA in an office setting. It, um, medical office setting, yes, but like billing office, things like that but it is shared throughout the entire network. And the concept is shared that if we felt like there was a safety event, and we've done a couple of RCAs based on employee events, and we've done one based on experience events. Um, so we really believe that it has application uh, across 100% of our settings. Fantastic. So, all right, you've been doing this for a while, you've evolved. What are some of your learnings in developing and adapting? What are some, you know, key nuggets? Here's the big one. Um, and honestly, we learned this from the Peace Health people. And then when we came back, it was like, oh, gosh, we didn't think that through. When we started our culture of safety journey a long time ago, you know, we just jumped in with error prevention tools and here are ways to communicate. We probably should have started with just culture as a concept. Um, and the Peace Health people articulated that to us directly. And literally on the plane back to Indiana, it was like, oh, my gosh. Well, that's a dumb moment because, you know, as we are looking to strengthen our culture of safety and, and move toward high reliability, I mean, that's the goal, zero harm, high reliability. You're never going to get reporting if there's not a just, if, if your staff, if your caregivers don't understand that concept of just culture. Um, so we actually just did a two-day workout. Um, we felt like we had communicated in the past and what we are discovering in retrospect is we have a lot of catching up to do. So that is really our focus right now is just culture concepts. Great. And so, you know, Ginger, you mentioned, you know, being at Peace Health and Safety Stop and you and I talked about you're doing some things there, that, mm -hmm. that program implementing it. And, and that can be another podcast. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to have you back after you're a few months in. But you also, as people are listening to this and, and we, Ginger, if we have a listener out there that really wants to start implement a more sophisticated RCA process, you know, you, you just gave one hand. What other advice would you give them? Um, identify your call it your steering committee or your um, advisory group or whatever, but educate them. And I know I said, we don't rely on education, but they have to, I mean, they really have to grasp and be able, it has to be second nature to them to understand why do we even do RCA? Um, how do we classify? Cause it's, it's a little counterintuitive. Um, and how just culture, I mean, we have to use the just culture principles there because, you know, the reality is if we get into looking at an event and what we find, and, and we don't find this, but if you were to find that somebody, it was an intentional act with no regard for patient safety, that's a totally different response than what you're going to do when you really find out, as we do over 90% of the time, that our system or our process failed our caregivers. And we actually start our RCAs. Um, the PSRM team has to kind of practice this spiel. 
so that if somebody hasn't been in an RCA, because they're afraid to talk to us, you know, in some places the risk team comes and people run and hide. It's like turning lights on cockroaches, they just scatter. Um, what we talk to somebody, if I was coming in to talk to you, what I would say is, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. And we know that you didn't intend for this to happen, but here's how we can help you make it better. We know that there are gaps in our system or gaps in our process, but you've lived through it now and you can help us see where those are. And from that, we'll make improvement. So if you're willing to go this journey with us, we can help you make sense of this. And we, I mean, I, I think every one of the risk team believes that, that the reason we're doing this is we can make it better for the next guy. And we'll even say sometimes, so nobody else has to go through this again. Sometimes when we sit down that, with them, we find out that nobody has done that second victim support for them. And sometimes we have to delay an interview because they just have to deal with the emotion first. So we may get them into um, a rise response, that's what we would call it, or our EAP, we can use that as well, but they may need that before they can really talk to us about it. That, that's an interesting phrase, the, the second victim response. That's, that's a unique phraseology, but it very much says to the caregiver, we understand you, you, this was not your intent. This right. was, we're human. We, we all understand right. that. And, and we're here to support you and let's figure out so it doesn't happen again, or we can reduce any chance of it or reduce the chances of it happening again. Mm -hmm. So Ginger, any final thoughts you want to share? Gosh, um, I guess the big thing I would say is it's, it's a continuous process. You know, I don't want to say it's a moving target because, you know, zero harm is not really a moving target. But it's diligence. It's recognizing that you're, it's not like you're going to identify the magic bullet and you implement it and your work is done. So um, it's a continuous process. It's um, a focus on being open to hear what our caregivers tell us. I, and I, when I teach RCA class to our team, what I tell them is, you know, I review a lot of our event reports every day. Um, and sometimes I read them and my first thought, thought is, seriously, what were you thinking? Holy cow, I would never have done that. And I have, I can tell you with 100% certainty that every person I've interviewed, as I interview them, my mindset changes because the whole purpose of the, of the interview is for them to recreate for us what it was like in that moment for them. And so as I talk to them, I always change my mind that I, I might have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's what we need them to do is create that for us because that's where we'll start the work. So I guess what I would say is don't give up, be diligent. Um, you know, resilience is one of those things as part of high reliability. So sometimes we come up with an action plan and we do the auditing and three months later we find out, well, we didn't get that one. So you go back and you do it again. And and we, we all know failure is part of it, but if you learn from it, then you can be better right. next time. So Ginger, thank you for joining us today mm -hmm. and sharing your thoughts and this in-depth look at, at how you're doing root cause analysis and how you've incorporated it and in the integrated it throughout the culture. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, we at Catalysis appreciate you all for listening. If you have any suggestions for us, want to know more about this topic or other topics, please just email us at events at createvalue.org. To learn more about the Catalysis mission and community, please visit us at createvalue.org. 
Thank you for listening. Visit catalysis.org to learn more about catalysis and how we can inspire you to accelerate change in your organization.